Every week we go to the uh, scriptures uh, because it's there. Person and work of Jesus are most clearly revealed. Uh, preaching this week, uh, one of our pastors, Dodds uh, Pinger from Acts 2. And so hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors of Rome, from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Well, welcome to Sojourn. Good morning, everyone. And Happy Pentecost to you all, to all of us. Um, as Brandon said, my name is Dodds, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. Very good to be with you all this morning. Last week, we had the pleasure of celebrating Christ's ascension, which was uh, a seminal work and movement in the life and ministry of Jesus. Because, because of this, because of the ascension, we now have a king of the cosmos. And that really changes everything, not just for the church, but for all creation, far and wide, high and deep, past, present, and future. And today we come to celebrate Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost, which is recorded here in our text today in Acts chapter 2. The, the, the why and the when of Pentecost is, is terribly important um, because it, it fulfilled all sorts of Old Testament promises and long-held ancient Israelite hopes. And so today we're going to explore the meaning of Pentecost and how, how the events, specifically the events around the Tower of Babel, help give context to the events surrounding Pentecost. It's going to really help us as in our reading of Genesis 11 to understand and see a full picture and scope of what's happening here on this day in Pentecost. Before we do that, it, I think it's important to talk about why we observe this day and why we observe this event. Um, we do it because the church calendar structures our common life as the church around Jesus and the historical events regarding our salvation and redemption. So let's, let's take a look at a slide really quickly here. This is, this is essentially, just in sort of in miniature, our, our calendar. We begin with Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost. As you can see, we... We, we remember the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, 
the suffering and death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ. And today, on Pentecost Sunday, we remember and celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. All societies structure their common life around key events in history. Even in our own country here, we, you know, July 4th, we celebrate the birth of our nation. And, and in, you know, in, in, that, in that celebration, that remembrance, this, it helps shape our common life as Americans. We celebrate what it meant and what it means. And we live in light of what we celebrate. So in the same way, and honestly, even more importantly, we observe seasons and days in the church calendar because we want to pattern our common life as the people of God according to the events that made us the people of God. And just to, to put a, a button on it, <laughs> Pentecost is the birthday of the church. So truly, I, I want to encourage you, not ironically, make a cake this week with your parish. Celebrate. Celebrate this day and this week. Because without Pentecost, there, there would be no birth of the church. So throughout the book of Genesis, God repeatedly commands his people to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. That was his command to Adam and Eve. It was his subsequent command to Moses and others. It was this, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But in Genesis 11, we see a, a particular act of rebellion against these commands. Let's read from, from Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So we get to Genesis 11, and instead of mankind building outward as they were commanded, they're building upward. Rather than filling the earth, they, they make it an aim to stay where things are safe, and they build a tower there. The Tower of Babel was humanity's collective attempt to ascend into God's presence. They were actively disobeying the command to be fruitful and to fill the earth. And we know, we know that, that filling the earth, that going out, that multiplying, that those things are hard. Whether we're talking about having a child or multiplying a parish, sending our children out into the world, after they've graduated or out of, out of our homes as empty nesters, planting a church, all of these things, multiplication, sending out, it, it hurts. We feel it. 
But it, at the same time that it hurts, it's also wonderful. It's precisely what God has always called his people to, to do, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. But again, in Genesis 11, we see mankind rebelling against God's explicit command. They're attempting to ascend to God. But instead, God descends to them, and he interrupts all of their efforts, confuses their language, scatters them across the face of the earth. Now, if we jump cut thousands of years later here to Acts 1, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, ascends to the right hand of the Father. Jesus, a sinless man, ascends into the presence of God by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus builds and becomes a tower to the heavens so that we, the whole earth, can be with God again, so that we can know his presence. But, but in ascending, he does not command his disciples to start climbing the tower. As Paul so wonderfully described last week, Paul commands them to stay where they are and wait. Why? Let's read our, let's read our text again. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This, this truly is one of the richest texts in, in the entirety of the scriptures. And there's a ton, a ton of biblical background and narrative being woven in here. Wish we could take a look at all the layers. All of the, the prefigurings of everything that's happening here. 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit of Christ descends upon the disciples, preparing them for their mission. And it's because Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father that the Spirit can descend upon the church. So there's really no need for the disciples or for anyone to climb any ladders or towers into God's presence because God has descended. People have come to Jerusalem from all over the world. They speak in all sorts of languages and yet they're hearing this motley crew of small town fishermen <laughs> preaching the gospel in each of their native languages. What in the world does this mean? They ask. You see, if we, if we try to read this passage, if we try to read Acts 2 without Genesis 11, we're really only left to think that God was just essentially pulling off this random act of divine pyrotechnics. But that's why it's so important to remember Genesis 11 here, because it's what he's been meaning to do 
since Babel. Whereas God descended upon Babel in order to confuse and weaken the nations, God descends upon the church in order to unite and empower the nations. At Pentecost, God removes the language barrier that he himself created at Babel, symbolizing this international oneness and unity. We're we're talking about a whole new world, a whole new world order, a new age in human history. And through Pentecost, the separated peoples and families of humanity are now being unified. And this unification isn't accomplished. This is important. This unification isn't accomplished through the will and power of of empires and rulers, but through the sending of the Spirit of Christ poured out like like life-giving rain upon a drought-ridden world. In the place of one language, the wonderful works of God are spoken in all languages. The multitude of languages is preserved. It doesn't collapse. As human unity is achieved, not in the dominance of a single human empire or in the collapsing of cultural differences, it's achieved in the joyful worship of God from all peoples, in all nations, in all tongues. See, Pentecost is about diversity, not sameness. It's about unification, not uniformity. Pentecost is not about erasing national or cultural differences. Pentecost is about calling all the nations in all of their diversity to respond to the gospel where they are, to pray and sing and preach in their native tongues, to serve and love in their native lands. That's That's why Jesus' ascension and not just his resurrection is so important. Because when Jesus ascended, it wasn't him just rising from the grave. He rose from the grave and then he ascended to become king of all kings. By claiming all authority through his death and resurrection and by ascending to heaven to the Father, he has built a tower into the heavens and ascended to a place of authority over everything, over all nations. And from the heavens, the presence of God descends to fill the church, this international community, with its power and presence. And as we see here, God God does descend again. He descended at Babel. He descends at Pentecost. He descends at Babel and they scatter. He descends at Pentecost and they scatter, but not like Babel, not in the same way. They don't just scatter, they they go willingly and joyfully to the nations. In Genesis 11, the people are disobedient. They're not filling the earth, and so God forces them to scatter. But in Acts 2, the people are obedient. Having been united and empowered by the Spirit of God, they scatter of their own accord. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. Going out to fill and multiply the earth. Let's read for a moment. Let's just read from a portion of Peter's sermon that comes later here in this same chapter. Verse 33 of the same chapter. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you are yourselves are seeing and hearing 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So, in short, Jesus, King Jesus, has ascended into the heavens and his enemies are being fashioned into a footstool. It's this picture that Peter paints is a, is a picture of the victorious king seated upon his throne, resting, relaxing, reclining, and putting his feet up on a footstool. That's Jesus. That's how he is subduing his enemies. And how is he doing it? How is he accomplishing this? How, is his, how are his enemies subdued? Through, through the Great Commission. You remember Jesus' words, go therefore and disciple the nations. That's how the world is being subdued, is through discipleship. Discipling the nations means calling the nations to submit to the one true king and to worship the one true God together alongside one another in all of our different cultures, in all of our different languages. That's the definition of world peace. All nations worshiping God together. Now, it's, it's idealistic. There's no doubt. You hear those, those we, my head fills with pictures of what that looks like. All of us together, across the globe. It's idealistic, but it is the future that the Bible tells us to expect. It is the future that the Bible tells us as the church to work towards. Listen to Isaiah say it. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt because the abundance of the sea, <laughs> love that, the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with the acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. It's amazing. An arresting picture, I, I hope, for all of us. But, but I think it, it just, it draws my attention to the fact that, that cynicism Cynicism lives so well in our world. And when our trust in voices and people is low as it is these days, cynicism breeds and breathes more easily. And it's hard. I, I feel the tension. Maybe you feel the tension with me too. Because cynicism, it, it, it has the appearance of protection. It seems to help us maintain a position of being unsurprised, you know? I knew it. I knew it. We can be above it all, in a way, in our cynicism. 
But, but, it's, but cynicism is unhopeful, it's hardening, and it's prideful. The Bible challenges our cynicism with these incredible promises and promised future. It's, it's the very work God is doing in our world, and he's using the church to accomplish it. He's using us here in our local context. He's using us to accomplish it, along with all the other churches around our city and our state, our country, our world. The nations will worship God alongside one another. It's the prophecy and promise of Isaiah 60. It's what we're meant to look for and want for and work for. All nations streaming to him with all of their treasures and all their lives and all their peoples and all their histories. And it's not a matter of if that's going to happen. It's a matter of when. This is what Pentecost signaled. The language and cultural barriers have been overcome. The people of God have been reborn. And with the law of God written upon our hearts, it's an important point. The law of God written on our hearts. You remember when Mount Sinai, at Mount Sinai, when Moses ascended and brought down the law? Well, here we have Pentecost. Jesus ascends and he brings down the Holy Spirit. And the law that was just given at Mount Sinai is now written on the inside of us. Written on the inside of us. And with that, the church is marching onward in the power of the Holy Spirit, multiplying filling the earth, bringing the gospel of the kingdom to, to bear on everything and in every way. And that's what, that's what we're doing here. That's, that is what all of our lives are about, individually and corporately, nothing less. We are the kingdom of God and we are bringing the kingdom of God to bear upon the kingdoms of mankind. So what does that look like? What, it's a good question. What does it look like? What does it look like within the context of everyday life here in Houston to do this, to live in light of Pentecost, to trust the Holy Spirit and it's empowering and his empowering? Well, I, when, like just the way we were talking about before, when God gave the law, he promised to make his people into a kingdom of priests. And at Pentecost, the Spirit came down and has made the church a nation of priests. So every one of you, every one of you has been commissioned as a priest, as an angel at the gate, as it were, a priest in God's house. And what do priests do? You think about Levitical priests and what they did. They did a lot. But maybe we could say that this is, what, this is what was so key about what they did. They drew near to God and they drew near to others. They drew near to God and they drew near to the people. And so I do think that looks like a few things for us. First, we, we should obey our king. We should live as though we have a king because we do. He's good. He's loving. He lays down his life for us today and every day. And he is still a king. And so we owe him our allegiance, our obedience to his word, to his commands. 
We, we will not be effective as kingdom priests if we're half-heartedly devoted to Jesus and to his word. We, sh- we should draw near to him and near to others in obedience. We should also pray. We should pray for the kingdom. And we should draw near to God and to one another in prayer because when we pray, thy kingdom come, when we, when we pray the Lord's prayer together and when we ask the Lord for his kingdom to come in all of these areas, the kingdom actually does come. When we pray on behalf of one another, I want you to think about how, not only how intimate that is, but how wonderful that is. Because when we pray for one another, we're not just, we're not just praying necessarily for the end of certain things. We're praying for redemption. Because when we do pray thy kingdom come, in any number of situations, you're praying with an individual, you're praying with your parish, you're praying for a neighbor. What we're praying is no matter what the circumstances is, Lord, thy kingdom come here. And when we pray that, we're not just asking God to bring an end to our broken world, we're asking him to redeem our broken world. To establish the rule and reign of King Jesus over all the nations. And we should trust that he's doing that no matter how dark things appear. No matter how dark they appear. God delights in us praying for the coming of his kingdom because that's precisely what he desires to do. We should also, we should worship together. We should worship with one another here and other places. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we should worship together. Here on Sunday, the, really the, the purpose of corporate worship is to make us partakers of divine blessing. And this is in particularly felt here in this gathering because really here on Sunday, what we've been invited to is we've been given a, a dinner invitation. <laughs> we've been invited to a dinner. And when we arrive at the king's house, we find him like he was in John 13, wrapped in a towel, ready to wash us ready to serve us. He does, he, he does here wash us, forgive us, assure us, and teach us. He feeds us, and then he sends us out those doors into the world. Just think about that. Every Sunday, we multiply out of here to live and fill the world the rest of the week. See the poetry and reality and beauty therein. When you leave these doors, you're being sent out. We're being sent out. And so when we arrive here at the king's house and find him wrapped in this towel, really, we shouldn't leave this place, or rather we should leave this place with our faces reflecting the joy and peace and glory of the kingdom, not disappointment over particular parts of the gathering. We come to draw near to the king of kings and near to one another as family members and co-heirs and friends. We're doing that at his table. And, and with that as the ultimate goal, it should probably matter much less whether the sermon or the songs met our expectation. We should also serve one another today and throughout the week because if the king of kings is humble enough to, to wrap himself in a towel and serve us, then we should be humble enough to serve one another. And, and that's what priests do. That's what priests do. We lay down our lives 
And when we lay down our lives in service to one another, the church is built up. Whether it's serving and sojourn kids or praying with a member of your parish, we build up the church through loving service to one another. And we extend this loving service to those outside the church as well, especially widows and orphans and the poor and the fatherless. Just as a point as I'm thinking about this, like praying, praying for the children in your parish. Praying for them, calling them to the table, praying over them at the table, an amazing grace to step in with Jesus and pray with one who is already praying for our children. And finally, we, we should multiply and fill the earth. We should leave this place and be about our Father's business. At, at Babel, when God descended, the people scattered all over the face of the earth. At Pentecost, when God descended, the church multiplied over the face of the earth. They began a mission to extend the rule and reign of the ascended king of kings to all the nations. And this day that we're in, well, that day has led to this day. That, that global mission, that global vision has informed everything about our local vision and mission here. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to... We want to do our part within the neighborhood that God has given us, making disciples, multiplying parishes, planting churches, building relationships, bringing them in, exposing them to the, the family of faith and sharing the gospel. We're gonna open our lives and homes to, to do that. We're gonna take responsibility for speaking the gospel and demonstrating the gospel within our neighborhoods and workplaces, friendships. And I know, that you f I know that we feel it. I know that we feel it. It's, it's not an easy mission. It's not. But he has called us to an empowered mission. So it's not just about it being an easy or hard mission. He's called us to one that he's empowering us to do. He's not left us without the ability to do it. It is hard, but we can do it because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. He empowers us to leave the safety of, of all of our respective towers that we might build to step into places of the unknown. And, and maybe, you don't, maybe you don't feel empowered right now. But you are. That's the promise of Pentecost. I mean, if we, I, I, want, you, I want you to think about it just think about it for a little bit longer and let it rest, let this rest on you like, like, a, like a flaming tongue. Let this rest on you. God lives in you. The same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation. The same spirit breath that gave Adam life the spirit that hovered over Mary when she conceived Jesus. The same spirit that hangs over all creation, groaning, wanting it to be reborn. That spirit lives in you. You are empowered by him. 
And, and that's why we've said in, in such a year like this that we should not underestimate any, any act of hospitality. For the sake of neighbors who don't know Jesus, for the, for the sake of the single mother, the young married couple, the empty nesters, the recent graduate who's longing for a place to call home, widows and orphans, we open our home, we open our lives, we welcome people into them, and then out of that we watch the kingdom multiply. And just consider what, just consider what that brings, what, what life that gives, and what life that welcomes. Family, relational intimacy, friendship, shalom, meaning and purpose, depth and connection, new friends that become old friends, and more new friends, the privilege of seeing people coming to Christ. Children, this is what we're made for. This is what we're made for. The love by which the God of love loves, that love has been poured out into your heart, into all of your hearts. The life by which the living God lives is now your life, is now our life. And the mission of Christ is now the unified mission of the church. Let's, let's close here. At Pentecost, we see the redemption of Babel. All the scattered nations have been reunited. The world is being made into this international, diverse, worshiping family. Jesus has built a new tower into the heavens and the Holy Spirit has descended to dwell in our midst. And because he is here, because he is with us everywhere we go, we can be fruitful, we can multiply, we can fill the earth, we can scatter as kingdom priests, drawing near to God, drawing near to others and reuniting the nations by the power of the Spirit. You know, for Sojourn, that multiplication began here 11 years ago, 12 years ago almost. We multiplied into Montrose from there, then into Galleria, into Spring Branch, into East End, Garden Oaks. Raff and D'Amico, who have preached here a few times and will preach here this summer, which will be wonderful. They, they recently multiplied their first parish of their future church plant. See, all of those congregations are continuing to multiply with, within their respective neighborhoods. And all of that is really wonderful and beautiful. God has been gracious to us. It's even more humbling to, to think about the fact that we're, all of us are standing on the shoulders of men, women, and children who for centuries have responded to the promise of Pentecost by multiplying and filling the earth, going out, opening their homes, their lives, drawing near to God and to others. So let's, let's keep joining them. Let's continue. What we're doing here today is happening over all the world. Here in this gathering, we sing songs and pray prayers and heed God's words and partake of God's table. And, and through that, the world is actually being changed. It really is. 
The change might be small, it may be imperceptible, it may seem like we're losing ground, but God is doing it nonetheless. That's the promise of Pentecost, is that the Holy Spirit is bringing heaven to earth, love, joy, and peace, and justice on earth as it is in heaven. So again, happy birthday to the church. Happy birthday to all of you. Let's celebrate by living lives where we draw near to God and near to others together forever. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we love you and we bless you this day. Lord, these words, the, the, the words of, of Peter, <laughs> Jesus, your ascension, Holy Spirit, your descension, your, the love that you have shown us in living with us here, in forming and fashioning and empowering us for the mission to continue the mission of our great head and King, Jesus. It's just, just, just like Acts is written, that, that we, or that we are continuing with the work that all that Jesus began to teach and do. Now by your spirit, we are continuing that the, the, the baton has been handed. And we pray that you would, would empower us by your spirit as the church to take great confidence in knowing that we can draw near to you, that we need to draw near to you, and we need to draw near to others. Would you please help us? Lord, would you please help us to continue to pray, to serve, to obey, to worship, and to fill the earth, to send out more and more, to fill the earth, Lord, so that your kingdom would be known, your kingdom that the nations would unify and come underneath one king, one loving, wonderful, marvelous king. Would you help us do that today, here, in our own lives as we pray, as we serve, as we offer hospitality to one another, as we open our hearts and our doors and our lives, our wallets, our our needs, every, everything. Lord, may your, may your act on Pentecost have its full effect here. Have its full effect here. May we be, would carried on the words of Isaiah. May we be carried on by those who have gone before us and may we, may we carry on in a way where others will stand on our shoulders and go forth in ways that we, we could only dream. But we do love you. We need you. We ask it in your name. Amen.